Would you open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 1? Uh, I am so grateful that we can be back kind of in home base here again. Uh, we've been th- preaching through the book of Ephesians off and on over the last year plus. We started this kind of last January and Uh, I'm certainly glad for us to be back in it, and we'll finish it sooner or later. Uh, We'll take breaks as we have along the way to do things like Easter this year and some other things, but uh, I really feel like that chapter 5 and 6 for Ephesians are some of the best things that God has for us in this great, great book, and I'm so excited to be back uh, in a rhythm of doing this. I got so excited uh, in our study this week to get ready for that, and if you've missed this, what I want to do just to kind of reorient us we're going, to be, we're going to make our way to Ephesians chapter 5, but I think it's important for us to not forget where we came from so that chapter 5 really makes sense. And so if I could, I want to just kind of run through some of these highlights for us. You remember, of course, that this book was written to a church in the city of Ephesus. And in that church, in that church they had a background and a backdrop, I should say, of this large temple to the goddess Diana, which is sometimes called Artemis, and it was a goddess of fertility, if you may remember us talking about that. And, and not to be indelicate, but if you look at pictures of statues of, of this goddess, it was a goddess with, with multiple breasts all over its body. And, and, and that was to signify the fertility that was going on. And people prayed to this goddess, they worshiped this goddess, they go to this temple and, and, and spend their time there. And so you have this little outpost, this church there of believers or churches of believers, we're not sure which. This may have been written to a church in Ephesus or the churches in Ephesus. But what's going on is is not what's uh, too far away from what we're living in. We're we're living as an outpost right now in Nashville, Tennessee, against a backdrop of people who don't know anything about the Lord Jesus Christ. They don't worship the Lord Jesus Christ. And we are here to shine the light of Jesus Christ. And we're going to really see that in chapter 5 as we continue this. So Paul begins in chapter 1 talking about this incredible pattern of blessing given to us by God the Father, through Christ the Son, by the Holy Spirit. I love that we were just singing, praise the Father, praise the Son, praise the Spirit, three in one. I mean, that's exactly this pattern that we're seeing. And if you remember all of the spiritual blessings that we have, every one of them comes to us from God the Father, through Christ the Son, sealed to us by the agency of the Holy Spirit. And I just want to remind you, if you have your Bibles open in chapter one, you'll see these. You see that God chooses us to be holy and blameless in chapter one. He predestines us to be adopted as sons. And, and you remember, we talked about this for a long time. Sons had an inheritance, remember? And so when he's saying sons, he's not excluding women. He's saying all of us are equal before the Father and we all get this inheritance given to us through Christ the Son. It's an incredible thing in a day and age where you know women were an afterthought in most church life. The, the Christian church was bringing this to the forefront and saying, you have an inheritance just like everyone else. It says that we've been redeemed. And you remember what redemption means is that someone paid the price for us to be bought. And Jesus did that for us. And he offers us forgiveness, this spiritual blessing through God the Father or or from God the Father through Christ the Son that our sins would be forgiven. He says that we now have this inheritance that is given to us. And we know that inheritance is, is not just now, but we get a little taste of it now with salvation. But our inheritance really is coming for us in eternity. And then it says that we're sealed with the Spirit as a down payment. 
What a great gift to have as a down payment, to have the Holy Spirit in our lives, working through our lives, and just reminding us that better things are still yet to come. We just get a little taste of it right now, but it's so good even what we get. Chapter 2 begins by talking about how we were dead in our trespasses and sins. And you remember that, that trespasses and sins, a trespass is there's a line that God draws and we step willfully over it and just say, I don't care, I'm doing what I want to. And, and a sin is, is that sin where we miss the mark. In other words, we, we don't quite measure up. And so he says that there are times in our lives where we willfully step across what God has for us and that's sin. And there's times where we're really trying and we're trying to do the right thing and, and, and we miss the mark. So sins of omission, we, we, we don't do it. Sins of commission, we did it. And he says we were dead. That, that's a great description of who we were before we met Jesus Christ. We were dead in our trespasses and sins. Dead people can't do anything. It's impossible. We're, we're, we're literally lifeless and God comes and breathes, breathes life into us. And, and you remember this great verse. I want to read it for you from Ephesians 2, 8. For you are saved by grace through faith. It's not of yourselves. It's God's gift. Not from works so that no man can boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared for us to do ahead of time. That, that beautiful verse that God gives us salvation, saving grace is given to us. You don't earn it. There's no merit to it. You, you don't get it because of your pedigree or, or your genealogy and who you were. You get it because of God's genealogy, Christ coming and dying for us, God's son, and God saves us so that we can then do good works. We don't do good works to earn salvation. We're saved so that we can do good works. And you remember that, that great word, this workmanship that we are God's workmanship. And Pastor Kirk spoke to us about that, about how we are God's poem that he's written, poema, that Greek word there. And Pastor Kirk talked about how God is working in our lives and, and writing our story to be written, this great kind of tapestry of working for the Lord. And we see that God tore down this dividing wall that separated us as Gentiles from all the promises of the Jews. And I mean, this, this great thing that God was bringing us together. And we talked about the church being built and fitted together. And you remember we talked about that, how God brings me and he brings you and he, he chisels away a little bit of our rough edges like a stonemason would. And he puts us together right where we need to be. And he starts building the church. And in chapter three, Paul really hammers this home, this coming together of the universal church. And he calls it in verse 10, God's multifaceted wisdom on display for the world. In other words, that the world gets to see this thing that God is doing and they're trying to do it in their own ways to bring everybody together, but it doesn't work. But when you meet believers around the world, you see that God has made us one. And then Paul ends with this great doxology in chapter three. In verse 20 and 21, now to him who is able to do above and beyond all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Do you believe that God is able? Do you believe he's able to do more? Do you believe he can do more than you could ask? Do you believe that he can do more than you could even imagine? I got a pretty good imagination. Do you? Do you think he could do more than we could imagine? Paul says he can do it. And he does it to the praise and the glory of Jesus Christ. And that's what's available to us 
in the church. And chapter 4 begins finally the application phase of this book. For three chapters, he's given us doctrine. And then chapter 4, he begins to give us application. And I just remind you, in today's world, a lot of us want to get to the application without the doctrine. And it doesn't work. You must know what God says about the world first before you try to take the world and apply God's word to it. You have to know what God says first. Start with the Lord. That's the mistake of so many Christians. We start out here, what is the news saying today? And then I come back and I try to appropriate that to what the scripture might say. No, no, start with God's word first and it will give you the lens to see the world through. You'll see the application piece and Paul starts talking about this oneness how it begins with God and he says that we're to get rid of our former way of life and be renewed in the spirit of our minds. And now we come to chapter five and it begins with the word, therefore. I have never in my life preached a series of messages where I have explained therefore as many times as I have in the book of Ephesians. He says this over and over. In fact, all of chapter four is a therefore. Therefore, therefore, therefore. He says it three times. And then chapter five, he starts with therefore. Now you remember, of course, what we talk about. When we see therefore, it's a building on something that previously just happened. And so that's important for us to see this, to get the context right this morning of chapter five and verse one and two, we have to understand this. When he says therefore, he's building upon something. And I wanna read this for us in chapter five, verses one and two. Therefore, be imitators of God as dearly loved children and walk in love as Christ also loved us and gave himself for us a sacrificial and fragrant offering to God. At the end of chapter four, Paul has written some things that need to be present in our lives. If we could just go back in verse 29, he says, don't have foul language, don't be a thief, Uh, make sure you're speaking things that are right, don't grieve God's Holy Spirit, remember that you were sealed, don't be bitter, don't be angry, don't let wrath and shouting and slander be named among you, and be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving one another, just as God also forgave you in Christ. And this becomes this thing that he's saying to us. He says, because of these things, now therefore, when you get those things right, therefore be imitators of God. I think a lot of us have no problem conceptualizing what it might mean to be an imitator of Jesus Christ because that's God in flesh. That's what it means when we say God incarnate, God in flesh. That's what that word means. You know, the carnal part of our lives, you know, is the fleshly part of our lives. So when God is incarnate, we see Jesus Christ. We often think about what it must mean to look at the life of Jesus and then be able to learn from that and be able to let that be part of our lives. This is a unique construction though. I'm not sure that it's found anywhere else in the scripture where he says, be imitators of God, God the Father. And as he says that, it's unique because what he's saying is we want to know what God would have us to be like. And as I think we look at that, sometimes we struggle and say, well, I don't really, I can't really picture that. I don't don't know what that would be like. And yet, verse 32, I think, gives us one of the clearest pictures of what this means. Look at this. It says, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving one another, just as God also forgave you in Jesus Christ. When you read that and you see that, be kind and compassionate, just as God. Be forgiving, just as God. 
it's a beautiful picture for us that when he says, therefore, be imitators of God, it's a beautiful thing for us to see that because we're never more like God than when we're forgiving. Never. Never more like God than when we're forgiving. You know, just this week, I found myself having to work through a little bit of forgiveness. It was a a fascinating thing to have to do, and I bet you have too. Because it happens so easily, doesn't it? A coworker does something at work that's a slight and it's, it's frustrating. Or, or, or maybe um, you as a, a parent, I don't know why this happens, but uh, I was talking to a lady on our street as I was walking this week. She was telling me about, you know, what it's like to have preschoolers. Anybody remember what those days were like? Amen, you know? Tell you what. I was telling Kathy later that evening, I said, if I could go back and be a, a parent again to a preschooler, one thing that would happen is I wouldn't be offended by them so much. Isn't that funny? You just take everything so personal. You know, your toddler says no and it's like they hate me. You know, or, or, or they don't do what you want and it's an offense against you. I mean, it's just these little things that start to happen. Uh, maybe somebody said something malicious about you this week. Maybe they maligned you and, and spoke against your reputation or, or maybe you're harboring hurt from something so long ago in your life something done to you. And you know what I find often is that when we come to the topic of forgiveness, we have such a double standard, don't we? Because the double standard is this. We want everyone to forgive us, but we want to hold on to our grudges against them. If somebody comes to you and says, you know, you said this and and it and it hurt me, you say, well, I didn't mean it. I mean, just just get over it. Sorry. But when you go to somebody else, it's oftentimes with a fist, we are never more like our father than when we are forgiving. We are never more like our father than when we let slights pass over us. We are never more like our father than when people try to malign us or people have done things to harm us than when we forgive them. Paul says, be imitators of God. Forgiving. But then he qualifies it because he says you need to be an imitator of God as dearly loved children. As dearly loved children. That's a a funny little phrase there, isn't it? Because I'm not sure that we can understand how dearly we are loved until we look at ourselves correctly in the mirror. Because oftentimes we think, well, of course God loves me. I'm great. Who wouldn't? I mean, look what I bring to the table. I serve. I do these things. I I give. I'm kind to my neighbor. I mean, well, why wouldn't God love me? We kind of skip over what we just read in chapter two. You were dead in your trespasses and sins. It's a little hard to remember what it's like to be in rebellion against God. It's a little hard to remember after you've been saved for a while 
what it's like. To understand the depths of this, we must understand how we truly are, not how we like to believe we are. And God's love for us is so amazing because we brought nothing to the table. As dead people, we brought nothing to the table. What we brought was sin and strife and rebellion and wickedness and vileness and cursings and all kinds of things. What we didn't bring to the table was anything that was lovely. That doesn't come until God transforms us. Because it's an inside-out thing that happens, not an outside-in thing that happens. God begins to transform us from the inside out. And now we can actually be imitators of God. But when we see that and we understand what it means to be dearly loved children, we have to understand that for God to love us means that God loved us where he met us. And he loved us anyway. I say this to you all the time, but Romans chapter 5 is just one of my favorite uh, passages of Scripture because it, it says to us, while we were still helpless at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For rarely will someone die for a just person, though for a good person, perhaps someone might even dare to die. But God proves his own love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's where God found us. Not where we are today. He found us when we didn't want anything to do with him. He found us when we had run away from him, when we were in full-on rebellion against his plan for our lives. He found us and he enacted the plan of salvation for Christ to come and die for us. When you understand that, it changes what it means to be a dearly loved child. How great the Father's love must be for us that he would love us when we could commend nothing to him. How great the Father's love must be for us when we ran away from it. How great the Father's love must be for us that it pursues us like that. How great the Father's love must be for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He didn't wait for us to figure it out. He did it on his own accord in obedience to the Father. That's what makes God's love so great for us. Last night, we were having dinner with some friends, and I just kind of casually asked my friend, I said, could, could you just tell me a little bit about your story? I, I, don't, I don't know that I've heard all of your story. And she began to share a little bit about that. And as she did, you know, I was moved to tears as I heard about the relationship she had with her mother and her father. It was amazing to just, to just think about that. And, and I had this in my mind because I knew I was preaching it this morning, you know. And I was just thinking about the love that you experience like that, even from the best of parents, pales in comparison to the love that the Father has for us. And love demonstrated that, that way is incredible. You know, the Father chooses us when we couldn't choose him. The Father loved us and never withheld any good thing from us. And when we understand who we really are and the depths of the depravity of our souls, oh, it makes his love seem even more incredible, doesn't it? Now, here's what I want you to think about for a minute. Can I tell you this? You are loved. I don't know how you felt when you walked in this morning. I don't know if you felt great. I don't know if you were down. I don't know if you felt like you'd failed the father. I don't know if you felt like that, that you'd failed in your family this morning or you're failing at work. You are loved. Loved by a father who has pursued you with an everlasting love that never, ever changes. 
You can't exhaust it. You can't wear it out. For great is his faithfulness. His mercies are new every morning. He loves you. Now, if that doesn't get you excited this morning, if that doesn't bring joy to your life to know that God loves you, then you don't understand the depths of his love for you. God has loved us. And that ought to be a a changing, transforming love for our lives to be able to see that. And knowing how we really were makes that love so incredible for us to be able to see that. And it ought to make joy rise up in us. As we were singing that song, I I love that song that we've been singing lately that, that Kirk's been teaching us. There's joy in the house of the Lord and we won't be silent. We shout out your prayer. I love that song. And it ought to bring joy. It ought to let us just express that back to him because he has loved us as dearly loved children. So Paul says, therefore be imitators of God as dearly loved children. And then he says, and walk in love. So it's like he's saying, because you are dearly loved, walk in love. That makes sense, doesn't it? How you've been loved, you should walk in love. And and walk is going to be used. That word walk is going to be used a lot as we go forward. There was a time in my life as a a young student in student ministry growing up, it was often said, you know, if you're going to walk, I mean, talk the talk, you need to walk the walk. What what does that mean? When it it robs that that phraseology out of Ephesians, and we're going to see it over and over again in chapter five, where he says, you need to walk in this way, walk in that way, do these things. To walk is the outward visible expression of your testimony with the Lord. As you're doing that, it's the expression of your faith. So when he says walk in love, he's saying that everywhere you go, your testimony, the way that you conduct yourself ought to be in love. There we go, back again. As imitators of God, dearly loved children, now do this. Walk in love. How do we do it? It's how Christ did it. This is the picture of what's called the atonement in the scripture. Notice what it says about Christ. Walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself for us. That word atonement, can I just read this definition for you? Uh, It's important for us to understand, but it's this idea, the biblical doctrine that God has reconciled sinners to himself through the sacrificial work of Jesus Christ. So what that's saying is, there was a time where we were separated from God and God has reconciled that relationship. When you reconcile something, uh, you know, in, in the older days, and maybe some of you still do it, before we had online banking, you had to keep a check register, right? How many of you still keep a check register? Amen, that's right. Down to the pennies, right? You know how it is, some of y'all, you know? Um, my mother, I remember her teaching me how to do a check register before I went to college and how to, how to reconcile the check register, the bank statement, right? So that you knew what you had and, and you didn't want to be off. You know what would just drive me crazy if you were off two pennies? How am I going to find two pennies? You know, I mean, those kind of things. Reconciling means you make them back together, right? They, they come back together. So when we do that in a relationship, what we're saying is something has us apart and we need to bring us back together in relationship. It's the same thing with God. God the Father says that we had run away from him in sin and trespasses, and we'd created this rift because we were in rebellion with him, and we had no way to bridge the gap. No way to do it. I've said this to you before, but I love that, that idea of that painting where man stands on one side of, of a cavernous canyon, 
and God's on the other side and we cannot get there except that the cross of Christ be laid across for the bridge for us to walk across back to the Father. It's only by Christ's work on the cross. That is what atonement is, that God has reconciled sinners like us to himself. God did the work by sending Christ and we now have access to the Father to have a relationship and here's what it says. Christ loved us and gave himself for us a sacrificial and fragrant offering to the Father. Jesus loved us like the Father loved us and he gave us something we did not deserve. He gave us forgiveness through his death on the cross. This idea that he gave himself. Can we hang out there for just a second? You know, nobody made Jesus do that. Nobody made him do it. Nobody took Jesus's life. Do you remember that? Nobody did that. Jesus set aside all that was rightfully his in glory and he laid it aside and he took on flesh and lived a sinless life, forgetting his true position Philippians tells us he didn't consider those things as something to be grasped, equality with God, something to be grasped. And he laid that aside and came and died for us in humility. No one took his life. He gave it. Jesus said that in John 10, verse 17. This is why the Father loves me. Because I lay down my life so that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own. I have the right to lay it down. I have the right to take it up again. I have received this command from my Father. The, the earth didn't, didn't take Jesus and crucify him. Now, you know, it wasn't happening that way. You remember Pilate kind of spoke to Jesus about this. He said, don't you realize who you're talking to? Basically saying, I have the power of life and death to do what I want to with you. And Jesus says, yeah. You don't have any authority over me except what's been given. Jesus gave of himself, laid his life down for us. It was sacrificial. It was fragrant. When it says it was sacrificial, you, you get this Old Testament picture, don't you? Of the sacrifices being made on the day of atonement where the priest would take the blood from a spotless lamb and, and, and he would uh, uh, go ahead and place that on the altar and the bulls and the rams and the goats and it was covering the sins of the people. And Jesus dying for us is the sacrifice. And I love that, that it, it says that it's a fragrant offering. You know, I think one of the first times that, that we begin to see that is when, when Noah comes off the ark and he, he makes an offering to the Lord. I believe it says in, 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 uh, in that passage in Genesis that it was fragrant to the Lord. It was pleasing aroma to the Lord. That God was, well, why does God, why does it say that? Is, is it God sniffing the offering? No, it, it's, it's kind of this idea to put it in human terms for us to understand it. It's like when you walk in and somebody's been making an apple pie. Hmm, that's nice, right? You get that. It's, like, it's pleasing. It smells good. It does something, it soothes you. When Jesus being the sacrifice and fragrant, mean that as he laid down his life, he took the sins that were ours, placed them on his shoulder, went to the cross, died for us, and because of that, God was pleased to place the punishment that should have been ours and put it on his shoulders. The Bible says that it was pleasing to the Lord, a fragrant offering. When Jesus did that, that's what brought us into relationship 
to the Father. Okay, let's see if we can tie this up with a little bow today. When we imitate God because of what he has done for us, that is the change evidenced in our lives. See, we're often, sometimes we confuse it. We, we try to put the cart before the horse and we try to do all these good things for God and try to do these things as if we're gonna make God love us more or be more pleasing to God. It doesn't work that way. How are you gonna please God anymore? You can't. You, you can't do it. Well, what we do, at the very best of what we could do, the scripture says, our good works are like filthy rags. Look, God, I did all this good stuff. Here's a dirty towel. Thanks. It's not what I'm looking for. I'm looking for you to place your faith in Christ and out of that, I'll transform you from the inside out and you'll do good works that pleases me and I'll write your life like a poem. I'll make it beautiful. I'll make it rhyme. It'll be in rhythm. It will be perfect for you. And you'll do these works that please me because you will imitate me. You know, when we know our Father's heart, then we can know what pleases him. The only way to know that is through Jesus Christ. So we don't do it to win his approval because we're already loved. I don't have to win approval when I'm already loved. It doesn't work that way. That's already been given. As dearly loved children, imitate God the Father. Nowhere is that more crucial than when you're going through a difficult season and people are coming after you. No more, nowhere is that more crucial than when you're in a relationship that's fractured. Nowhere is that more crucial than when work is difficult and you show up day in, day out forgiving. How do we do that? You know, sometimes when there's a, a public thing going on with you, you may need to go sit down with someone and just say, I, I need to tell you. We, we've been at odds and, and I want to seek your forgiveness and I want to let you know that I've forgiven you and I want this to be right. You're married today. If you've never done that, you need to do that. Try it on for size. Sit down with your spouse and don't just say, I'm sorry for what I did. Sorry doesn't cut it. Everybody's sorry. We already know that. You know, I always think about that. For you to tell me you're sorry, you're just stating the obvious. You are sorry. I'm sorry. We're all sorry. It's only that God would save us and move in our lives. And what happens is we sit down and say, would you forgive me? I forgive you. Let's be reconciled to one another. But it may be that some of these things, it doesn't require you to go sit down with somebody. It requires you to just look at the Lord and say, I hold that not against their account anymore. I have forgiven them in Christ Jesus. Moving on. I'm moving on. I'm going to treat them the same way God would treat me. I'm going to walk in love with them. See, I think the answer for us is to understand that for us to live this out... We have to look at people that malign us and we love them. We have to look at those who persecute us and we bless them. To give ourselves over and over and over again is to be like the Father. It's to imitate him. And we do it until we're emptied out. And we wake up the next morning and let the Lord fill us again with his mercies and we do it all over again. Walking in love. I hope today that above all, you'll thank Jesus for saving you. 
I hope today that you read these verses and you see yourself as dearly loved children, loved by a father who has given you everything, loved by a son that gave his life for you. And if you've never known that, can I just take a moment and tell you what that means? I know that every time we come in this room, I never take it for granted that everybody that walks through the door has a relationship with Jesus Christ. I hope you know that. And our prayer is every week as we get ready for these services, that if you don't know Jesus Christ, that something that is read from the scripture would really just touch your heart and that God would do a work in your life. And so I wanna just tell you just real quickly, if you've never experienced the forgiveness of Jesus Christ to have a relationship with God the Father, here's how. It's a recognition of who you really are. You're not as good as you think you are. Because God says the standard is perfection. We can't get there. So we're at odds with God. The Bible says that we're under God's wrath. And yet Christ Jesus dies for us in our place so that we can be saved. And when we place our faith and trust in Jesus Christ and repent of our sins, that just means to turn, change directions. I'm running over here towards sin and self. I'll run towards Christ and the Father. Placing my faith in him, believing that Christ died for me and rose from the dead. The Bible says if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. If you've never done that, I hope that you will today. I hope that you will experience the great love of our Father today for the first time. And after our service, after I do the announcements, I'm just gonna be standing right here. I always do that. And I just wanna talk to you about that. I'd love for you just to come, uh, just, just take a few minutes with me and, and talk with me and, and begin that conversation about what it means to be a Christ follower, to be saved. Nothing would make me happier today than for that to happen. Let's bow and pray. Would you this morning as a believer, just thank God that you are dearly loved. Could it be this morning that as we've talked about forgiveness, there's just somebody in your life that God brought to mind and said that needs to be laid to rest. Maybe it's from the past. Maybe it's been buried for years. That's okay. Don't be afraid for God to bring that to the surface and deal with it right now. Forgiveness is a miracle. Maybe today you've been considering what it means to be a Christ follower and you're not. You've never been saved. That first step might look something like this, just to pray to the Father this morning and say, Father, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I've displeased you. And I need you to save me. 
Would you do it now? I believe that Jesus is your son, the savior of the world who died in my place. I renounce my sin. I repent and ask you to make me alive today in Christ. I believe that Jesus died on the cross and that he rose on the third day. Save me today. Father, our hearts this morning are full as we consider your love for us. How great your love must be that you never tire of running after us. You never grow weary of us. And you pursue us over and over again, day after day with everlasting love. Lord, we glory in your love this morning and we thank you that we are dearly loved children. May we walk in your love, being kind and tender-hearted, compassionate, forgiving. And Lord Jesus, we thank you for that fragrant offering of sacrifice that you gave, satisfying the wrath of God in our lives. And we pray for the one today that doesn't know you and ask, God, that you would do a work in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.